to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Woolock. And welcome back to the show. We are broadcasting, I said it right, broadcasting live from DRJ here in Phoenix. And we're talking with different speakers and attendees and exhibitors. And with me today uh, is Sandeep Parande. That's correct. I said it right? You said it right. Uh, You are from IBM. And you have a demo session here. Um, It's a cyber incident response. Can you tell us about that? Sure, Alex. Uh, Thanks for inviting me here. So, yes, so we at IBM have a um, have a booth here in, in DRJ, and also we uh, we have a live demo on our game changer product, which is IBM Resiliency Orchestration, which which caters the cyber incident recovery, and that's happening uh, tomorrow, 1 p.m. Pacific, right here in, in at DRJ. So you're demoing, <coughs> excuse me, you're demoing the product, right? We are demoing, so we are wh- demoing the product, yes. So when would we use something like this, cyber, um, you know, incident recovery? When would that come into play? Sure. How would we use that? That that's an interesting question. So let me give you a quick background about all the all the um, partners that we are seeing here today, right? All of them are talking about reporting an incident or managing a business continuity, right? Um, IBM's cyber incident recovery is is not only about informing uh, the, an incident or, or detecting an incident, but it is about recovering from an incident. So it's going a step forward. It doesn't stop at informing. It actually takes you, mitigates the risk, and allows you to restore it in an automated fashion, right? Mm-hmm. So let me give you a quick example of it. I was just going to say that. Can you yeah. give us an ex- give me an example so sure. people can understand it? Yeah, this is going to be interesting now, Alex. So we have um, we have seen that most of the large enterprise clients have two data centers. They have a prime production data center. They mm-hmm. have a disaster recovery data center. Mm-hmm. And they're replicating this between these two data centers in real time with SAN-based replicators, database-based replicators. There are different technologies they use. So if you write a transaction here, let's say you withdraw an eight, withdraw $100 out of an ATM that goes in the production data center, and that entry or, an, or transaction gets reco- recorded onto the DR data center. So really, whatever is being hap- whatever is being written on the production immediately gets transferred to the DR. Mm-hmm. So now, right. DR is your insurance. That is the copy that you can bring up if the production goes down. That's right. Yes. Now talk about cyber <clears throat> incident. Cyber incident when it happens. So, so what is a cyber incident? Define that so people understand that. Sure, sure. Cyber incident is an attack, okay, uh, in the form of a malware, okay, that gets into the network or the system within the data center, and without informing anybody, it starts without without even alerting anyone. It starts growing within the network. Starts encrypting your critical files. Like you have all your configuration files. Out of the blue, suddenly one day they all will be converted to PDF, and you can't even run your applications. You can't open your personal files, official files. So that is a cyber incident or an attack that happens in the environment. Okay. Now, and that comes from an external source, that right? That comes from an external source. External sources are actually looking for a small loophole to get into your system and start encrypting the data. Not only encryption, but there are different different types of cyber attacks. This is one of the examples. 
Now, when this happens, the study has proven that these type of attacks, they grow and they are being reported after 120 days when the user starts experiencing the changes in the application. Wait a application. minute, 120 days from the time it it starts and it's not recognized it's up until not 120 recognized. days? It's absolutely not. Is that normal? That is absolutely normal. That is absolutely normal. Wow. Yeah, and then what, what so, so the concept, moving, taking a step back, right, coming back to the data center concepts. So you have a primary and a DR, now you're replicating. The cyber incident happens here on day one. For 120 days, it is creeping around and growing. And now that is instantaneously, immediately being replicated and growing in the DR. So now your insurance copy is of no use. So, yeah. So, so <clears throat> what do you do now? You, you have invested like millions of dollars in data center and a DR, now you don't have anything. That's where IBM thought of, do not talk about recovering in DR when there is a cyber incident. It's of no use. That copy is already well, gone. wouldn't, no. Yeah. yeah. So we have developed a solution and a mechanism using our automation where we protect your production data center, protect the client's production data center, and we can detect and scan for anomalies, find them on day one, and then let the consumer select what they want to do. Is that change a valid change? Or if that change is something that is in potential attack? And then they are allowed to take a decision whether they want to restore or they want to go forward with this change. If they mm -hmm. select restore, it's a push button. The entire system gets restored. So instead of going back, uh, you know, losing 120 days, you could only potentially lose a, a very, very tiny a fractional amount. amount a fra of, yeah, yep. a tiny fraction. Yep. You know, and catch it on day one, maybe minute one. Yep. You know, uh, how often would that scan, actually? That's a good question. Yeah. So that, 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 uh, that's... Is that's that a daily, an hourly, weekly? Yeah. Or is it, can you preset it to whatever you want? Sure. So really the definition of recovery point objective comes into the picture. So let's say an application has a recovery point objective of um, 30 minutes. Our scans would be every 15 minutes. We want to ensure that it's being reported before 30 minutes because that's the potential loss you can, a company that's can right. bear. Yep. So it totally depends on what kind of RPO an organization has. We have clients who have been doing this for tier four and tier five as well, who have who have an RPO of 24 hours, but they still want us, um, us to protect because CIOs are losing jobs. CEOs are losing jobs for, because of cyber incidents. Oh yeah. So this is this is not about- I know quite a few people in yeah. the information yeah. security yeah. Uh, realm. Yeah. Absolutely. So this is really, really uh, one of the game changers that we have from IBM. It's going to change the whole cyber recovery world around us. And of course, for our clients. So you can change it to change the um, scanning time to to meet whatever my RPO is. That is correct. You know, we can. Uh, is it too much to do it hourly, or is 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 that even doable? You know? That is. So we have distributed our cyber solution into two parts. One is the cyber platform recovery, and one is the cyber data recovery. Cyber platform recovery is something that needs a little longer scan durations because we are scanning the whole platform, mm -hmm. right? The configuration files, the DLL files for Windows, the the v, v, VLAN switches and and Cisco switches, uh, but but for the cyber data, mm -hmm. it's going to be pretty easy because it's a snapshot of the data and we can go ahead and, and bring it up at any point of time, quickly have a valid checkpoints and a validation manager does that out of our product and then again marks it as a verified copy so you can restore it anytime. So out of curiosity, how long does it take to run those scans and a job like a, a you know, end of night batch job for some companies you know, can take them up to you know, two, three hours to run a job or a scan. 
with with what you're you're talking about how long does it take to do that if i've got um uh, we'll just use an even number a 10 hour recovery point objective you know but it takes me you know uh two hours to run the job you know, does, is that worth it? Like, how long does it take to actually right. run that job? Right. Typically, we have seen that the cyber data scans would come out in probably less than 20 minutes. Oh, that's pretty right? good. Yeah. This is pretty good because we have integrated with some of the IBM security um, products, mm-hmm. which allow us to quickly scan the particular drive or particular uh, data that is inside a virtual machine or a server. And, and it comes out really with all the results that these are the differences that we could see. And this is potentially a malware attack that we, could, we are experiencing. Right. So it is pretty quick. Oh, great. So when is this available now or is it something that's coming out? Later, no. because this is a conference, so I know sometimes you know, and you give these demos, you know, of things that are coming up. Right. So, you know, is this is this something new that's going to be released, or is it already out there? No, it is already released. <clears throat> IBM has already GA'd it uh, in the month of uh, July end or August first week, you could say. Also, oh, it's still new. Yeah, it's still new. The cyber resiliency is still new because cyber incidents uh, and the concept behind recovering it is was something that we want to come up with. Mm-hmm. Had it been just report a cyber incident yes we we are already doing it with our systems like resilient and curadar this is recovery this is new nobody else does that today so we're the first one to do it so we're very proud of our technology and yes it is it's new uh, but the platform of cyber resilience is on ibm orchestration which has been out for 10 years the mm-hmm. automation is out for 10 years it was for dr it was for bringing up the dr this is for protecting production from cyber attacks so with this application, is there any um, linkage to incident reporting? Like, Do you get um, reporting? How, how does it link to some of the uh, companies that are out there that have incident management you know, processes in place? You know, how do you link that to, to them? You know, Is there one person who just gets a notice and that's it? Or how do you link it all together? Th- that's a very good question. So we do link with uh, products like uh, ServiceNow. Right, where mm-hmm. we get notifications, we are also integ- we have also integrated with recovery, uh, resiliency communication as a service. That is an IBM offering which has a similar incident response that some of our partners that you see today here, uh, we are ex- we are exactly have a tool that what all of these partners do, somewhat very close, where you have an handheld device and it starts reporting to you. There's a malware attack. You can have um, some set of um, dedicated SMEs uh, around that particular application to form into a virtual room and start interacting. So yes. We we do that. Oh, okay. Uh, do do you use some of your own incident management type uh, processes, or do you take what you have and um, merge that with you know your application? So what we do is we have certain uh, set of uh, best practices mm-hmm. that IBM has as per the BCI standards, the BSI standards. Oh, so you're, you're following some of the global standards Absolutely. that are out there. Oh, okay. Absolutely. And then with those global standards, we go to the client. See, the best practices for IBM is not, not supposed to be the good practices for client because clients are whatever they want, they will Well, they're, they're all frame. different. Yeah, right? they're all we're, different. We're all different. Yeah. So we allow them to integrate with uh, our product as and when they want. It's completely customizable, but we ah, give them. So it's adaptable. Yeah. It's adaptable, but we give them the framework. The key word is the framework. If you have the framework, you can go and build whatever you want to. It's like building a house. Here's the frame, but you can put as many bedrooms as you want. Absolutely. Type thing, you know, and play it around, move things around. So that's good. And so you have a demo tomorrow. How's... 
What, are you are the, you the one doing the actual uh, yeah, demo, or yeah, luckily you're, you're going to be speaking and standing up there in front of everyone? No, I'm the I'm the I'm the only guy who's going to be on the stage talking and doing the demo. And the rest of the IBM guys are going to be in the back of the room making faces. Is that <laughs> what they? that what happens? I said uh, <laughs> I I told my team of IBMers. You know how big is IBM? We have like oh, you're a tiny company, aren't you? Just yeah, a few people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until this came out, so I have requested all my IBMers to to enter the room post all the attendees come in because sometimes you know you get confused whether these are IBMers or these are attendees you know too many people there so I'm, I'm getting good responses people are trying to talk to me and understand what is going to be uh, some of my some of our IBM clients are already here prospective mm-hmm. clients are here so they're looking for for the demo so where do you see this going in the future? We've got one minute. Where do you see this leading, this new cybersecurity? So, so cybersecurity, cyber resiliency is going to be the next thing in, in, in the business continuity. Um, when you look at the business continuity, everybody talks about having a disaster recovery site or recovering from DR. Now, this is going to shift their concentration onto the current ongoing crisis, which is the, the biggest issue is uh, protecting the organization from the unwanted cyber attacks. So this is going to really change the whole discussion forum. Mm-hmm. Instead of going to a BCP manager, we are now going to go to CISO because CISO has the responsibility of holding the cyber resiliency fort. So you have now opened up a lot of doors to go and discuss and, and, and do a lot of good business out there. And a little bit more visibility if the, the CISO is is there and aware of what's going on. It definitely raises it up. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Sandeep. Thank you, Alex. Uh, all the best on your workshop tomorrow, right? Tomorrow? Yep, absolutely tomorrow. And all the best on the the new uh, cybersecurity um, actually let's get the right name here cyber incident recovery sure demo cyber incident recovery well. demo tomorrow September 25th 1 p.m. so anyone who's at the conference who's listening make sure you attend Sandeep's uh, uh, workshop and no funny faces in the back of the room <laughs> thanks everyone <laughs> thanks Sandeep and all the best thank you and we'll be right back everyone Powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath, emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning 
betting expert, Alex Woolock. And welcome back to the show. We are broadcasting live from the Disaster Recovery Journal Conference here in Phoenix. And my next guest uh, I'd like to talk to, uh, Mr. James Lee. Can I call you Jim? Yes, that'd be great. Great. Jim, you have a presentation uh, that I swear when I saw it in the, uh, the, the program, I wanted, knew I wanted to talk to you because this is such a subject that so many people around the globe always bring up. How do I get buy-in from executives, senior management, anyone for their programs? And that's what your presentation is about, correct? It is, and um, hopefully the catchiness was the, was the title, uh, the buy-in battle. Um, yeah, it's a battle, all right. It is a battle, and yeah. I think that was what, uh, when we were thinking about this, uh, I recognize that trying to reach out to people, make buy-in sound appealing, you've <laughs> got to put an edge to it, right? So, and it is a battle because the things that I'm proposing and talking about are not without risk. Mm-hmm. Oh. It it's, uh, doesn't matter who I talk to uh, from around the globe with this show. You know, I've talked to authors and practitioners and you know, even psychologists. Uh, and so many of them bring up the same thing. How do I get the support of you know, executives? How can I help them see what I see you know, and feel what I feel? That's got to be a challenge that you, you've experienced. It is. And in the federal government space... Um, we have a lot of external pressures and a lot of audits and things that the private sector um, probably doesn't have, but the private sector has compliance. Um, so actually, it occurred to me in the, in the midst of this job that it's the synergy of those two things that I'm really excited about. It's the head and the heart. Mm-hmm. So you've got the compliance that is certainly going to weigh over top of you from a financial industry perspective or even the government perspective. But how do you get the workforce engaged? And that starts with the heart. Um, and I think that when the heart is engaged and the, and the employees are bought in making this uh, meaningful, leadership will believe in it as well because they feel it too. Ultimately, your leadership wants you to be successful. So who should come first? Should the employees buy into it first and then, then leaders do? I or leaders both. buy in first and then employees follow? Either formula can work because I think if leaders buy into it, as we've all seen great leaders create followers. Right? Yes. Um, I think great If you leaders, don't have a follower, you're not a leader. If you don't have a follower, you're a lonely guy going for a walk. <laughs> um, so, you know, if you've got good followers, they'll, they'll, they'll pull you along uh, as much as propel you forward. And um, so it's the head and the heart combined. And then I think if you can't convince it that way, if that doesn't work, well, then why don't you get your customers engaged? Mm-hmm. Because I believe yeah. as, a, as a buyer or a subscriber or a user, and for the FAA, that's everybody who gets on board an airplane, they expect us to be focused on these things. So if I'm not focused on it, they'll notice. And if they notice, my leadership will notice. And the converse and, is also true. Yeah, if I don't see you um, having any support for DR, BCP, or emergency response of, of any sort, crisis management, why should I care? Exactly right. Yeah. Right? And, and on the airline side that we work with, you know, principally is our, our airline interface. They're our representative to the customers in many cases. Uh, they focus on it, but they focus in a very uh, tactical way in many cases because they have to. They're about the bottom line. Right. For us, it's about confidence in flying. Right. And all that creates for the economy and for the country. So um, I was talking to somebody at this conference. It's not difficult to create a purpose when you come from the civil sector, because Mm -hmm. we're all here because we believe in the mission. And the the mission's easy. It's palpable. Right. Uh, You look up in the sky and you see why you do it. So for us, we've had a little bit of an advantage. So I realize I'm coming from a place of an advantage of having, you know, true perception of the real purpose and value proposition for but, what we do. But to get there, you had to go through adversity. You do. You right? do. We've had, our, we've had our fair share. Mother Nature keeps throwing new challenges at us. Yes. Um, and um, we keep getting better at responding. And I think leveraging those moments, you know, celebrating the small victories is a big part of this. You know, if you can get a, 
um, you know, we had the, the, the terrible events of hurricanes lately where we have lots of volunteers in the federal government who want to come in and help. And they're mm-hmm. very eager. They're the first to sign up. I mean, this is a volunteer organization, right? right. Um, and it's getting that volunteer spirit to come before the event occurs. So if we're all ready to get on an airplane and go fix things, we're, can we attend a meeting and review a training plan? Can we attend a meeting and talk about what a good recovery plan could look like? Can we just mm-hmm. do what-if scenarios or do good exercises? If you can make the time after the crisis and devote days, let's devote an hour or two before. Yeah, actually, you bring up an interesting point there. I've been in sessions where uh, people have, uh, other people in the business continuity department, shall we say, this is what BCP is, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's pushing it down. So you know your audience is, well, if you're telling me what it is, why am I here? Right. You know, instead of, and I think what you're alluding to is, how do you see it? Right. You know, what's, how do you see business continuity and disaster recovery? What do you expect? Right. And get your customers to lead into that and then your employees themselves because they know it better than anybody. A lot of innovation comes in engaging that workforce because they'll know the difference between you doing a paperwork exercise mm-hmm. and you really trying to make it work better when the events occur. They can, they can tell. You're not fooling anybody in your company about whether you're doing it for compliance or you're doing it for a better level of service. Yeah, you can tell the difference. You can. Just by the questions being asked and how quickly you seem to get through it. Correct. Yeah, you know, how did we got that plan done in a week? If it's easy, oh, that was a tick box somewhere. <laughs> if it was easy, you didn't really try. That's it, right. And yeah. verifying the phone numbers of the correct phone numbers is not an exercise. Oh. Right? So you know, there's a lot of ways in which you can make this meaningful, but it is very difficult. I empathize with everybody in it. Um, again, I've been doing this for a long time in my job, but I never really knew what to label it. And we always worry about the failure modes in the government and what it means to the public, but being able to label it as something specific and then start to attack that thing one bite at a time. So let's let's jump to the chase. Buy in. And I can, if anyone's listening, and I'm sure quite a few are, whether it be now or later, they're all going to say, yeah, but my executive, I fight with them every meeting, every quarter, every, you know, performance review. How do we get them to understand? You mentioned head and heart. So how would you deal with them? Because a lot of us, including myself at times, you know, we are following our corporate leaders. How do we get them to understand, you know, what this is? You know, what are your suggestions to, to get, turn them around? You know, I think, I think when you run, for example, very tactically speaking, running an exercise that really uh, exposes the, the difficulties in within it in a true and meaningful way with them involved is a good thing. Many people in this world, I think they're struggling in business continuity. You want to look like you're successful. So the last thing you want to do is have a bad exercise. Mm-hmm. But a bad exercise is success because you're going to identify true. problems. That's very so true. I think it's, a lot of it comes from courage uh, and your ability to fail in front of your leadership because they'll likely want to help you. They'll likely want to help themselves. And again, I think that's why it's a, a battle and that's why this is not without risk. Exposing yourself and your stakeholders, inside or outside of your company, to the vulnerabilities of how real your your resiliency and your depth of capabilities are, um, will get your executive support and attention. And it doesn't mean you, you don't need to turn into a whistleblower. You don't need to do anything like that. It's just about making them aware. Because I, I honestly believe great leaders will want to make it better. And if they don't, well, then that's their decision. And then you make it whatever they need it to be. And if you're, you know, if you're passionate about contingency and really want to make a meaningful impact and you're in a place that's not doing it, there's probably lots of places that are. Yes, uh, and I've been at a few of those. I, I do like your point about tests, you know, that uh, don't go the way you want them to go. Right. 
I do, and I agree with you 100%, I find those more successful than tests that go well with almost no problems. Because I would rather us identify gaps, errors, mistakes, whether in procedural or communication, you know, whatever the, the gap may be. I'd rather identify that during a test than have the real thing occur and... We just, well, you know. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, in the military for us, it was find your flaws in peacetime, right? Yeah. So when you're doing the drills and exercises when there is not life on the line is exactly where you want to fail. And so you really want to test to failure. And I think scenarios that push the boundaries of introducing more and more faults until you've actually run into something you've never run into before, that is probably a more useful exercise than one you know you did six months ago or six years ago that you know exactly how it's going to run. Everybody's got their speaking part, and, mm-hmm. it's, and it's scripted. I think uh, the unscripted, as you said, um, is far more challenging to do. And I think the other thing, to, to, you know, another angle to go at for a leadership engagement activity would be um, not only involving them in the exercise, but involve them in helping to identify where they think their executives are performing in continuity. Yes, um, yes. As new technologies come across companies, you're changing platforms, changing architecture, there's opportunity for the contingency folks to not be on the, le- on the lagging end of that. Get in on the front end of the technology investment because you can make the investment a higher cost-benefit ratio or a business continuity index uh, can go up if you're making that investment also address a contingency problem. And I think there's an opportunity for you to become a leader in the company, really be a stakeholder at the beginning of investment strategies and not on the tail end when it's operationalized. Well, I also work in program and project management, and I find that too with you know, new projects that are coming in. We're introducing this new process and all this other stuff. And then when it's already implemented, everyone turns around and goes, so, so DR is okay with this, right? <laughs> you know, like, what? What did you introduce? <laughs> you know, and then trying to work your way backwards and finding out, and you, you know, the cost benefit is, you know, no, we got all this extra work to do we never planned on doing. Well, you didn't bring them up front. Yeah, you exactly know. right. And for us, you know, as I said, I have the advantage of there's two and a half million people every day that fly that need us to do our job well. But that doesn't apply everywhere. However, in your company, the folks that are packing the boxes or loading the trucks, they have families to feed. That matters too. So find out what matters and then use that as your leverage to get engagement. So we've only got two minutes left. Let's flip that around. How about we've got executives who already have the buy-in, know what to do. How do you convince your employees Mm. to do what they need to do? Well, again, you've got a choice, compliance or uh, or engagement, and I prefer engagement. I think um, the employees getting involved when they're leadership carriers, I think the ones that want to make it want to make their leadership happy are going to be automatic. What you're going to have are the people that like doing things the way they're doing them, right? They're stuck in their way. They're stuck in their habits. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think if con- contingency and continuity of the operations is everybody's job part-time, then their changing is part of their performance expectations. It's part of their, their needs to make their job better. And that's, again, that's just another form of compliance. Um, honestly, I don't think many employees would say, yeah, I don't mind if my business goes off service and our website's down for eight hours because they know <laughs> at the end of the day, the company's going to cut cost to stay yeah, afloat. That's right. So I think ultimately you can get that them pretty easy by understanding this is about your livelihood. And if you care about the company and your future in it, you need to care in what we do. Yeah. And I, I know I was speaking with a, a couple of other people earlier today. You know, everyone's got a role to play. Yes. Right. You know, it doesn't matter. And I remember telling a group, you know, if you're 
you know, uh, and, and I'm not saying anything derogatory about anyone, a data entry clerk or something, sure. you're not needed up front, you still have a role to go home, play, monitor, uh, you know, and, and play your part by monitoring the phone line to right. know when you need to go to the office to do things. That's your role. And then your business role kicks in again when you're there. When so bad it's happened, just delayed. You know, when something bad's happening at work, people want to <clears> get in. They want to lean in. So I don't think people run away from problems when they occur. If somebody's That's hurt right. in the job site, they'll run to help. Yep. So run to help here before it's needed. Exactly. Yep. Well, thank you very much, Jim. We've My come pleasure. to the end of our segment. Thank you, sir. Um, all the best on your presentation. When is that here? It's, it's in uh, 30 short or 15 short minutes. 15 short minutes. Well, all the best. <laughs> this was a primer for you. Yes, sir. I'm all warmed up. <laughs> all warmed up. Thanks, Alex. Well, thank you much for joining us. And thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be right back. disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment and community for the aftermath, emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you tapped your full potential as a leader? Sometimes you have to go a little deeper and connect with your inner force. Join host Angela King as she invites you to discover something that already lies within you and helps you become a better leader. Your most important connection is the one you have with yourself. It's time to connect, ignite, and rise. It's time for Inner Force. Tune in live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time for our special series on the future of cars. With Game Changers, learn how you can become the automotive maestro who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the next breakthrough wave of disruptive automotive industry solutions moving into the cloud. The future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. Do you think about what you really want? Are you looking to change or perfect your environment, your value, your life? We can help. Tune in to Everyday News with the Blantons. Hosted by husband and wife team Mark and Dr. Latasha Blanton, our program will help you find the answers to make the changes in your life with inspiring guests that can help you find your sense of place in the world and how you view it. Listen live every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Time. 
You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome to the show. Again, we are broadcasting live from Disaster Recovery Journal here in Phoenix. And my next guest has a presentation coming in tomorrow. And you have a presentation about uh, testing. Exercises, yes. Exercises. What's the difference? Oh, I don't see a difference between testing and exercises. I call them all exercises. I see just a varying... uh, uh, difference between the tabletop versus what I would call a full scale. So if you're from government or done government before, there's a whole uh, ladder of different types of exercises. And that's what I'm coming at is that a lot of people only do tabletops. Um, and I think that we really need to start looking at doing something that's more hands-on uh, that takes the whole thing into account as opposed to just looking at some slides and throwing some scenarios out. So what would what would be your ideal test? Uh, exercise, sorry. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's one, one in the same. Um, uh, the bigger, the better. So, you know, like uh, I'm in manufacturing Texas Instruments. So, you know, uh, when it comes down to like about the holidays, sometimes sites will shut down for a holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were to do a full scale exercise, it would be we would pretend like the site was being shut down because of an event and then restarting it all. That would be a full scale. But that incorporates everybody from the facilities teams, restarting generators or the manufacturing teams on the floor, making sure that their tools are booted up and weren't running to the management team that's making decisions in the emergency operations center and making sure not only that the individual pieces work, but they all talk together, right? And that information flows up and down the chain. To to simulate like a, a real situation. Correct. You know, the way it would really happen. Yep. So I would, I would say it like this, right? So if you went into the doctor's office and you're about to have a surgery and you asked the doctor, okay, what's your experience on this? And they said, hey, well, you know what? Uh, with my professor, I sat down and we talked about how it would work. And that's the extent of my you know, experience with this and you would be quite hesitant to be with that person. You want to know that either they've actually done it or they've had simulations where they've, you know, done it cadavers or whatever the situation was. But it's that level of comfort uh, that I think that we, we want to have with our programs and we need to push for harder or more comprehensive exercises to accomplish that. So how do you push for something like that? If, you know, as you mentioned, many companies are used to doing tabletops or or small component level testing type thing. How do you, what would you recommend? How do you get people to understand, you know, we need to get to the bigger level because that takes a lot more resources and, you know, time and people. How do you, how do you manage that? Well, I think it's just selling How do you them. Sell it. it yeah. It's selling them on that overall concept. You know, given that example I just gave you, I'll use like a baseball scenario, right? You know, can you hit a? Somebody tells you how to hit a curveball versus do you want to see them actually hit a curveball? There's two majorly different things that you're talking about there. Um, that's one of the biggest ways that I've been able to do it. Um, resources on that full scale exercise where everything's working. I'm going to say that most companies are never going to do that. It's just too resource intensive. But you take those individual components and you do it hands-on. It's not in a conference room saying, yeah, well, I'll bring this thing up first and this one up next. And then, you know, our team will do these three things. It's actually doing those things. Maybe just doing them in a silo, just that single function at a time, being a functional exercise. That is your, you're getting closer, right? You're doing the actual stuff as opposed to talking about it. So you could start off, if I understand correctly, start off small and and, uh, 
test and exercise all these various pieces and work your way up to the big, Correct. big and, simulation. And, and my thing is I'm, I'm not hating on tabletop exercises, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe just a little bit, but um, you know, it's a building, box, uh, building blocks approach, right? So you make your plan, you do your training, and then you do an exercise. And usually your first exercise should be about a tabletop, get people initially familiar make some improvements and then do a more you know full functional scale a functional mm-hmm. exercise which is hey let's take just this one component of work from home none of the decisions that happen before deciding to work from home none of the recovery that happens during or after the work from home but let's just see if we can have 50 people work from home do they have the right. equipment can the VPN handle all this kind of load and things like that and then again you take your lessons learned you make plan improvements you make training improvements and then say okay let's do everything from start to finish now to see if it all works together well I, I guess in table tops too when people are just sitting around a table you know they may have lunch served they get a little bit more lax and they start coming up with assumptions which you know you're oh, well, stealing my thunder here right no it's okay uh, like i have three uh like main takeaways and one of them is player assumptions and trying to uh you know as a facilitator um your bi- one of the biggest things your job is to is address those player assumptions and the the biggest thing that you just said is, right, people are starting making assumptions. Well, I, I thought that that phone call already happened, or I thought that these three things happened. It's, you have to set that expectation, not only at the, when we're talking tabletops right now, at the very beginning, say, you cannot assume anything. If you have a question, you have to ask me. Don't fake anything either. Like, well, I thought that, you know, I just pretended I just did this thing right here. No, you have to tell me you do it. It doesn't yeah. count if you don't. Yeah. Well, the, the one thing I, I, one saying I like about assumptions is, in a disaster, the only assumption that will be proven correct is that all your assumptions are wrong. Yeah. You know, so, so if you go through a large simulation exercise, how do you manage that yourself? Let's say you're the BCP guy, uh, or BCM, whatever the, the title is, you're facilitating that whole test. How do you go about managing that? Because you've got you so many players. So, so the, answer, the answer to that is that the more complex the exercise, the more you can't manage it yourself. Um, I think that that's why another reason we rely so heavily on tabletop exercises is that it's easy to do it yourself. You can mm-hmm. read the slides. You can also do the evaluation. When you start getting more complex, you need somebody that is just there to watch the whole timeline, to watch the scenario unfold and make sure you're going on the right path, and separate people to evaluate. Um, the more resources that you can bring in as far as evaluation and facilitation, you know, the better that exercise can be. But if you're resource constrained, you have to design the exercise to move at the pace of the evaluator, not the players, not anybody else, because it's the evaluator's job to figure out what went right, what went wrong. And if they can't, if it's too fast for them, it, it's not a valuable exercise. So how do, do it's, is that like bringing in observers then to, to kind of yes. so, um, fill in those gaps? So you've got a set of eyes in the data center and a, you've got a set of eyes in the command center and that kind of thing? or Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so you would have somebody that's job is specifically, okay, here's what you're evaluating. Here's the people you're evaluating. Here's, you know, the plan that they're, you're evaluating them on. And usually they're subject matter experts, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, an issue for me is like if we're talking about restarting a generator, I'm not going to go there and have any idea what the guy's going to do as long as the thing <laughs> turns on in the end, right? You won, <laughs> right? But if you bring in somebody that, hey, I've done this for 20 years or, you know, I'm whatever their experience is, and right. maybe it is from your own company, it's like, here's the manager, he's going to be the evaluator and it's the boots on the ground person. Well, 
they got it started, but they messed up the procedure, right? So bringing in with subject matter experts to evaluate is also important. And as a business continuity person, we really only know the overall process, not the boots on the ground stuff that we really need to happen in a in a recovery. That that's true. I, I I've often heard that you know the BCP person in a test or a real situation has to know everything about everything. Well, that's impossible. Those people don't exist in the world. So how am I going to be able to do that, right? So if you have a test and you've got these big, you know. Uh, a simulation uh, test that you have and all these different players. What are your thoughts when you start finding gaps along the way? Do you think that's success or do you think that's a failure? Because executives always look at that way, pass or fail. Yeah, you're, you're right. Um, so there's a couple of things in that one. First, it, my professional experience is if you have an exercise and you don't have any learning or any gaps, then you failed as an exercise designer. You're our, the purpose of an exercise is to find problems, um, big or small. Um, as far as uh, leadership goes, you know, it's how you design that uh, evaluation process. And the evaluation process, it, it's not... It's very hard to say an overall exercise is a pass-fail. You, ha- you have different line items in there mm-hmm. that you're uh, evaluating against for the plan or the process or procedure. And, you know, being able to call out, we found these 10 things, but here's the other 10 things that they did really well. So if you're testing some of these plans, what are your thoughts? Do, do you prefer people to go through their plan line by line to make sure they're following it to find the examples? Or do you, would you rather have the person, um, I won't say ignore the plan, but adapt to the actual test situation itself? So I'll give you a, a life experience that I have. I was in, in the Air Force, and we would do live simulation exercises uh, frequently. So um, one of the things that clicked for me sitting there with my chemical gear on, my mask on, is I had this procedure book right in front of me. And I kept trying to do everything from memory. But the answers were right there. It's an open book test. So unless the situation dictates that you don't have the book in front of you, then my answer is I'd much rather you open the book and look at at it so you make sure you don't miss any of the uh, steps in the process because when you put the plan together, you're in the right frame of mind, you're thinking through, you're not in a stressful situation, you don't miss anything. If you're trying to do everything from memory, it's bound to happen that you're going to miss something. Now, of course, there's caveats to that of if you're a security guard and there's somebody that's an active shooter, you're not going to pull out your little booklet and be like, first thing I'm going to do is this and this and this, right? But in most cases, you can have that paper right there and say, here's what I'm supposed to do. Well, that's it. That's the point, right? You want to test the plan. You're not testing the person. Correct. And I think sometimes that gets confused with some, even test participants. I'm being tested. Yep, you're right. Exactly. You know? And have you run into that where people have been nervous about being you know, in these tests? You know, I don't want to participate or you know, I'm, I'm nervous about following the plan because I'm going to feel if I find a gap, you know. Have you encountered those kind of situations? Oh, yes, uh, very much so. You know, we try. I try to do the best I can as you know a facilitator, evaluator to ease those concerns. I don't think you can ever make them go away. But at the same time, what I also say is that a real world event is going to be stressful anyway. Mm-hmm. So having an element of stress in the exercise is kind of in a crucial uh, you know element to it because. You're not going to be sitting back, you know, the chair, looking at the facilitator, waiting for them to give an answer in a real-world event. There's people that are counting on you to make decisions uh, if you're talking about an executive team. Mm-hmm. So it has to be stressful. Whether or not they, it's their fault or not, it, it doesn't really matter. The improvement has to happen. Well, I guess in that way, too, you can help identify, you know, is this the right person who should be even involved with this test? You'll see that on my slides tomorrow, too. Am I? Yeah. Jeez, you. Sorry, I didn't see your presentation. No, honest. it's okay. You know? okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh, but I I guess, you know, that can happen too, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
So any last words on testing now that we've only got a few few seconds left you know, that you'd like to convey to everybody? Uh, you know, testing, exercising, same thing. At the end of the day, we, we have to move beyond the tabletops. I've, you know, in the sessions I hear are hearing a lot of tabletops, and there's, there's a lot of good things you can do with them. But unless you're taking your program to the next level and doing a functional full-scale exercise, you really are not validating your readiness. And we have to do that in order to be a successful program. I think that's a good point to, to end on. Thank you for your time, Joe. Thanks, thanks for ta talking to us. All the best on your presentation tomorrow. All right. Thank you. Okay. And thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be right back. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Redis is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. How is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Sergio Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. 
And welcome back to the show. As you know, we are broadcasting live from Phoenix, Arizona at the Disaster Recovery Journal Fall 2018 Conference. And we've been talking to many uh, guests throughout the day. And my next guest is actually just down the road from me. Uh, he's from Mississauga and I'm from Guelph uh, up in Canada. We're just west of Toronto, you know, because neither one of us are part of Toronto, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, no we are our own, <laughs> own spots. <laughs> so I'd like to welcome Ramesh uh, from EBRP. Thank Welcome. You. My pleasure, sir. And it's just so fortunate we have to travel so far from the Gulf and Missaga to meet. Yeah, we're only, uh, <laughs> what, 20 minutes apart? <laughs> yes. You know, and we come all this way to Phoenix to exactly. actually meet. Yeah, <laughs> great. So how are things at the conference? And, you know, how are things with EBRP? What are you guys up to? So the thing is, these conferences are important avenues for us to collect feedback, see the direction in which the industry is going, and to realign our products and services to make sure that, you know, we are still viable. We've been in the market for 20 years or 17 years to be precise. For us to maintain that edge, to be leading edge, we have to be here to get feedback. And so this show for us is a great avenue to network, meet people, get feedback. It, I'm assuming this isn't your first DRG. No, we've been constant uh, uh, trade booth, uh, trade show displays since 2004. Oh, so you've been you've been attended uh, quite a few. Uh, twenty-eight uh, to be precise. Both twenty-eight. So you've been attending both of them. Yeah, the, the fall and the uh, spring. Yes, right? we do. So what does EBRP do? EBRP essentially stands for Enterprise Business Resiliency Planning. Uh, when we started out in two thousand two, we found there was a niche that was not covered that needed some development. So we stepped into that niche. We wanted to add value to whoever develops a business continuity disaster recovery program. So we evolved a new approach to business continuity disaster recovery that added tremendous value to people who adopted EBRP's approach to disaster recovery business continuity. So what was that niche? What what was it that you realized that people like me, you know, a, a customer out there um, was lacking? What was it I needed that you guys discovered going, hey, there's a niche that we need to fill? What was that? Primarily, we found that uh, business continuity was a domain of experts who believe they're the jury, the judge, and the executioner. (laughs) They did the planning. They wrote the plans. They stood in front of auditors when they were uh, asked to talk about their program. But that is not... It, it didn't become a culture in the enterprise. Neither did the executives really believe that the programs were credible to do what they were intended to do. So in many cases, it just became a check box before the auditors come that I have my plans ready. So that's mm-hmm. what the industry was doing at that point. So we felt we had to go in and change that perception. We had to change the approach. We had to generate more value. So today, when we talk to any prospects, we ask them, do you have a challenge that needs to be solved? or are you looking to do more of the same? If you're looking to do more of the same, there are enough vendors who do that. We are not the right product for you. But you tell us your challenge, executive buy-in, there is no credible program, you know, there's no visibility, there's no uh, stakeholder engagement. Talk to us about these problems. We should be able to help you and assist you. So that's what EBRP niche is, to bring more value to your program. To kind of um, address the concerns that the customers have, right? Exactly. You know, yeah, or yeah. clients, whatever yeah, but term for, you use. For example, <clears throat> we got engaged by a bank uh, um, currently in Pittsburgh, and they told us there is a 
a room of 12 people, which is the program management office. They do all the work and they go to their business stakeholders once in a year, ask them to look at their plans and update it if it needs updating. So they said they'll never use your tool. Once they bought our tool, we convinced them to buy our tool and we helped them build it and uh, do all the uh, implementation. What's happened is six months later, they were talking about 450 people trained and using the tool on an average week. That is stakeholder engagement that we help. And now the program then becomes more robust, becomes more viable, mm-hmm. and you know, there's visibility to your program. So. so what kind of things does EBRP have then? Like what, what services do you offer them? That for you know, If myself, I'm looking around for something to help with my uh, disaster recovery or business resiliency program, what kind of things do you have to offer me to help? So there are two views. One is you as a prospective customer looking for something and we as a vendor offering a service. Before I talk about the service, let me talk about you as a customer. When you are looking for a product, that's based on your past experience mm-hmm. and maybe your current set of knowledge about the industry, what they need. We as a vendor, we are looking at f- forward looking. We are saying, what do you need tomorrow? Can we take your program to that next level of maturity rather than doing more of what you did in the past? So EBRP's features are designed and we are constantly evolving, we are constantly updating to a point that we are looking at what the industry bodies are saying you should do. We are saying, hey, does, is that relevant? So normally we are trying to be ahead of the curve. We are trying to look at your problem, not from the past experience. We are saying your organization is growing, you're going into the cloud, you're changing, you're merging, and you're becoming global, you're uh, internet retailing. With all those changing scenarios, is your program changing? If not, you talk to EBRP because we can help you. As you change, EBRP is a better product fit and products and services to uh, help you be future ready rather than past, uh, you know, dragging the past behind you. And that, that makes a difference with quite a few uh, products that are out there because that's kind of the view, here's our product, it's on the shelf, pull it off the shelf and go away type thing. You know, I'm simplifying that, of course. But you, from what you're saying is, well, that's fine, but that only addresses here. Where do you want to go tomorrow? You know, because an application has to be adaptable to me. You yes. know, my company is growing, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, you know, hopefully yeah. it's growing, sure? which means more risk, which means, you know, more things I need to consider. So EBRP takes that into account when you move forward, right? For example, you you had this weather storm in the eastern coast in, uh, you know, Charlotte and places like that. When you're in such a situation, how can you help your executives? Like EBRP has Google Maps as part of its feature set. So when you can draw the path of a storm, and then that system, EBRP, will return back to saying, you have so many branches, you have so many offices in the storm path. Mm-hmm. It can tell you how many people of your employees live within that uh, storm path. It can tell you who are your vendors and customers who might be impacted by the same situation. So I don't have to check uh, you know, Google Maps to find out. It's Exa- going to do it's it for inbuilt, me. Inbuilt. So oh, the feature great. set can help your organization plan properly with real data, real information, rather than you know, making a guess I need a plan. 
Well, that's great. That's a totally different perspective than some of the other things that you know I, I know. So that's yeah. an interesting perspective, and I like that. Well, thank you, Ramesh. We've come to the end of uh, our My segment. My pleasure, sir. Thank you. So, Ramesh from EBRP, who's just down the road from me. I'm in Guelph, Canada, and he's in Mississauga. You know, or the company is actually in Mississauga. I shouldn't that's assume right. you live in Mississauga. <laughs> but uh, EBRP's in Mississauga, so it's nice to have uh, some local uh, guests on the show. Yeah. Thanks for your My time, pleasure, Ramesh. And thank enjoy you. the rest of the conf- conference. Thank you. And to everyone listening, we'll be right back. for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.